You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. I am Christina Prevert, your host of Wake Up Call, the podcast, and joining me today is Carrie Lynn Miller. She is actor, writer, and director. Carrie has co-starred with Jennifer Lopez on Shades of Blue on NBC, Julian McMahon on FBI Most Wanted, CBS, and Peter Coyote on Blue Bloods, CBS. Awaken Her is Carrie's first feature film as writer and director, a female-driven, surreal, psychological thriller about female body dysmorphia. Thank you so much for being here, Carrie. Oh, my goodness. That was such a beautiful introduction, and I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I've been dying to talk to you about something that's very foreign to me, being a real life actress who's actually working. You're not just someone who says, I want to be an actress one day. (laughs) Not that there's anything wrong with that. Everyone should pursue their dreams. But you're really doing it and you're really good at it. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you so much. (laughs) Of course. I've seen you on Instagram. You've posted some clips. And the one in particular that I loved, I don't know where this aired or what it was exactly, but it was you having this um, weird kind of, it wasn't phone sex, but it was like you were sitting across from each other. And I think the idea was you couldn't touch each other and you were talking about sales. Right, right. So it was basically, I was a a sex phone operator, right? So people would call into me and I would help them get off in whatever way they like to get off. And this particular guy who had called in had lost his mojo with his sales and his work. And because of that, he just wasn't feeling very sexy. So we did some role playing, which was really fun because my background is also in sales as well. And it was about getting him all like juiced up over the sale and making the the clothes, the hard clothes. And we had so much fun shooting that and being so like over the top and just, outrageous it was outrageous humor is what it was and that's such a fun uh like genre to play in well i it struck me when i was watching it that you have to be really free with yourself when you're an actress you can't say oh well you know i don't want to simulate orgasm that's a little too much for me that's too personal (laughs) but there you were doing it and how do you get past that or is that not even a thing you know I think that every actor that I meet, I I don't know, there's always something that is a little off or I don't know what it is, but we just have this thing where I guess I shouldn't say everybody, but there's just always something a little off where either it's this, this internal like feel and need to express yourself and at any cost. Right. And of course there's training and stuff that goes along with it, but It's just this idea that there's something inside of you that you just want to express and share. And it doesn't, and it's everything, right? Because it's humanity is everything in every color and just being able to, 
I guess, have the freedom to do that without, because it's funny because in my real life, I do care what other people think. Like that's something like that I've struggled with. And I think that's why it's so freeing for me in acting to really just lose myself and be so present. And that just feels so amazing to me. It's like a, a drug, like a hit of a drug for me. Um, so I'm probably going all over with your question, but I do feel that there's just something inside of you if, if for actors that I've spoken to that they're, you just want to connect and express and, you know, and, and it's like the hit of just losing yourself in it, which frees you, you know, but not everybody's good at it. So how did, and you are good at it. So how did you discover that, that you were good at it? And I guess, when did you discover that you, I guess the expression is when did you get bitten by the acting bug? Right. Right. Um, Okay, so I went to WVU, West Virginia University. Let's go Mountaineers. Um, and I went there to become a doctor. And I didn't really have, I had always loved watching film. And I was always very easily moved. So I could very easily slip into, like if a girlfriend was talking to me, I would be in their shoes, crying with them. I would feel everything that they were feeling. But other than that, I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be an actor. I had done some modeling, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to do acting. So I went to college and I was forced to take an elective and it was in the arts. And so I signed up for a monologue class and that's where it happened. I was, you know, on stage and I was doing this monologue and I just remember feeling alive for the, like, it was so alive, like on pins and needles and like just invigorated. And I was like, oh my God, this is everything. This is what I need to do. And um, so then I graduated college and my parents were probably not very thrilled to know that I no longer wanted, I think I had an application at Quinnipiac and I was supposed to go there and I had my room and board set up and, you know, everything was good. And I remember telling my mom, yeah, I, I think I want to do that anymore. And so that was a fun time in the Togno household, um, which is my maiden name. Um, but yeah, so I think I worked at a bathing suit shop for a while while I went to um, William Esper studio in the city. And I studied with the amazing Terry Knickerbocker. And I would say it was there that I learned how to access all these different parts of myself. Um, he used to say it's about like throwing paint on the canvas and we have all these different colors within us. And it's about just throwing it all out there and knowing that we have all of those options within us and then bringing them out. Um, so it was through that training, uh, Meisner training. Um, and then I did a master's program another with Meisner as well. Um, so about three years of training that I think it started to just come alive and you start to feel comfortable in your own skin and you start to, you start to know your boundaries, you know where you can go, you feel comfortable um, with other actors and trusting. I think a trust is a really big thing is that if you have a teacher that creates a space, which Terry always did for us, where you really felt safe to, to let it all hang out and that you weren't going to be judged and that it was, you could do anything and you'd be okay. And so you never did anything with theater in high school? Wow. Because I know I remember the theater kids, you know, that was always their thing. And and they loved it from day one. And they had aspirations of going on to to do theater, be, 
in the entertainment industry in some fashion. So that's interesting that you didn't actually discover that until college, rather accidentally. Right. I mean, I was in, I did a lot of sports in high school and I think that's the way it's interesting. It's the way you're raised, right? Cause my family was very much into sports and that was like, that was just a given path for me. Like, that's what I was going to do. Like my dad was going to coach. So like softball and, you know, and my sister played basketball. So it was just kind of like, it felt like that was where I went. But I think when you start to get a little bit older, you start to figure out what you want and what lights you up. And and unfortunately, I think, you know, now it's different. I think kids are exposed to so many different things, the arts, you know, music, sports, that they really can start to see, you know, what it is. I think parents just have more time and more energy that they put towards to discovering what somebody's true passion is. And I think, you know, when I was growing up, it really wasn't about me picking. It was like, this is what you're going to do. And then as you get older, you things start to resonate with you. And I think that was the gift of really figuring out what lights you up. Did you, were you encouraged to go to medical school? Did you, where do you think that seed was planted? Was it by someone else or? No, um, I, I think that, uh, I think that's a great question. I think that I was always drawn to the human body and I, you know, I still am. Um, I got involved in high school in this athletic training program and it was really interesting. Like, um, I learned so much about, you know, the human body. And I kind of thought that would be an interesting opportunity to explore. And so I went to college and I was exercise physiology major and I graduated from the school of medicine and thought that's the path I was going to go in. But I guess you don't know until you know. Well, when you signed up for that monologue class, it's kind of like public speaking. Were you, it doesn't sound like you were nervous about that at all. Were you? Um, it's interesting, right? Because different than public speaking, right? Because I hate public speaking and I'm not, I don't, I'm not good at public speaking because public speaking is like, it's you and you're just like in front of all these people and you're just talking, talking to all of these people watching you and versus a monologue is very different because you are playing character, you're becoming somebody different than you, and you're creating this world of who you're talking to, right? So I'm not really necessarily talking to all of the people who are in the audience watching me or my classmates. It's like, I'm focused in on, you know, each monologue is like, you're, you're telling, you're talking to somebody, right? They may not be there, but that's who you're talking to. So for me, that felt more, um, that felt easier. It's always been easier for me to do stuff like that. Cause I just, get lost in that. However, I definitely hands down get, I think, you know, when we talk about like earlier in our conversation, like it's what you say it is, it's either like nervousness or excitement. And so I definitely, I mean, my heart is beating, but I think that feels great. You know, I like being on the edge of my seat. I like, you know, um, having that energy pumping through my veins. And so I, I just try to put that in a good place of that that's excitement versus like nervousness, because then that can become debilitating and very, like very fearful. Right. So. Well, like you said, you can characterize it however you want. You can call it nerves or jitters or excitement. Yeah. Yeah. 
I just have to comment on your Mona Asemi earrings. I have those exact same ones. Oh my God. Is she not the best? And this is like my Wonder Woman um, band. I don't know what you want to call it, but I love this thing. And whenever I'm doing something like this, where I just want to show up and like shine and be bright, I put this on and I feel like Wonder Woman. So thank you, Mona. (laughs) Yeah, I've been trying to get Mona on my podcast. So if you have any pull there. You know, oh, she I wants will. to be on it, but um, I think she's she's not used to being as much in front of the camera as you are. So, oh, she's she's a doll. She's so talented and she's amazing. I mean, she's just worked with like Beyonce and stuff. So, yeah, I, her jewelry is fabulous. So for I anybody was, watching this, check out Mona Asemi. <laughs> yes. And I was going to wear a pair of her earrings that um, but I was in a hurry and I didn't have time to find them. So whatever. <laughs> Plug for Mona. Um, okay. So the monologue, was that something you wrote? No, you mean it back in college? Yeah. No. And I don't even remember what it was, to be honest with you. I know it was like, you had to, you know, pick it from this monologue book. So I had researched it and I know that's crazy, but I think I just have the worst memory, but I, I cannot remember for the life of me what it was about. I just knew I loved it. I knew I felt exhilarated when I was done, but I seriously think I have the worst memory ever, (laughs) which I have good short-term memory for like memorizing scripts or like, you know, here, but if you ask me, like, I think people could actually fool me and recreate my past because (laughs) I wouldn't be able to remember. (laughs) I think I'm, I think I'm the same way, right? Same way. We have to maybe talk about that more, (laughs) but so how did you, I, you told me about all the training that you've had that you embarked on after the monologue experience, but when did you actually, you know, get yourself out there to get acting jobs and how did you do that? Um, okay. So during the two-year program that I enrolled in um, at William Asper Studio, you have to kind of agree that you're not going to pursue work. Um, but I ended up you know, um, going out for this audition and it was at the Billy holiday theater in the middle of like downtime, like Bed-Stuy. And, um, it was this off Broadway production and I really resonated with the character. So I went, I auditioned for it thinking I wasn't going to get it. You know, I'm just in school just for practice. And I ended up booking it and it was a paying role, like a professional paying role. And so I remember having this conversation with my, my teacher and he was like, because you're, it's a professional role and you're getting paid, then you can, you know, go do it. So he ended up supporting me um, and doing that. And now I know why they don't want you doing that is because before you have your full training, um, you learn, well, I learned a lot on the job, I'll, I'll say, so to speak, because it was my first time doing, you know, a live performance and, um, and just, it just was a very big learning stage. Cause you're, you're learning about, you know, how to project, you know, how to be on stage and be in front of a large audience. And so for me, that was like a really like on the job training, which I was grateful that my teacher had allowed me to do. Um, but that was a huge learning experience for me, for sure. So did you feel green? I did. Yes. I felt green. That's a great, yeah. I felt like, you know, I just felt like what you were talking about, like very nervous. Like I had a hard time, um, changing that into excitement. And I would say for like the first week of performances, I was, I had a lot of fear that I was like working through. Right. Cause 
because this, you know, I had been in my very trusting class and like everybody supported everybody. And this is like, now I had a director to please, um, who was giving me notes every night. You have the audience that's reacting with you. You've got other actors that have done this, that like had done it many times before. And, you know, this was my, my first go at it. So were these were all these things. And you start to realize in life that everything, whether it's, you know, a career in sales and business or sports or acting, but everything is so freaking mental. Like you have to have your mental game in check. Otherwise you will just crumble, you know? And it took me, like I had to rise to that occasion because I was definitely working through a lot of fear in the beginning for sure. But that's incredible that it was that your very first audition. Um, you know, so before that, I had just, that was my very first audition for stage. Um, but before that I had gone in, uh, remember when soaps were popular in New York, there's really not a lot anymore. Um, I had auditioned and, and I was, I had these small roles on, uh, like all my children and, uh, maybe one life to live. I think it was like smaller roles that I had just gone in, but it's very different going. I think it's very different being on camera versus being on stage. I personally like being on camera much better than being on stage. And I just think it's um, the people who can do both. I'm just like, wow, I'm like amazed and in an awe by, but because it's definitely a different muscle. I mean, you're, when you're live and you are just on, it's definitely a different muscle than being able to say, you know, cut and do another take or adjust in the moment. There's more of like a, like a relax, like for your sense versus like, oh, I, I have to get it right on like, you know, in front of everybody. So I prefer um, film. Well, some pe- I've heard some actresses say that they like the immediate feedback that you are experiencing when you're on stage. Uh, yeah. And I did like, you know, oh my God, there's nothing better. So now I feel like I'm talking out of two sides of my mouth, but there's nothing better than when people are laughing at you when you like, you know, when you're doing something funny or you can feel them in like a, in a moment of like, you're, you're delivering some, you know, heavy news or you're having this really, you know, intense connection and you can just feel it in the room. Like there is nothing like that for sure. I just don't think my body could handle it because it's a lot. It's just like, you know, it's just a lot on your body to do that. Like, and I say that because just physically you're just, your heart is going constantly. And, and I just haven't mastered that yet. I'm not saying that that won't be at some chapter in my life in the future. And I'm open to it, but um, it scares me more than film TV. For sure. Yeah. Um, I just remember one time I, I had a radio show and it was really my first experience into doing anything like that. I didn't have my podcast at the time and I had to record some promos and it was I it was the dumbest thing all of a sudden because I was expected to do this and I wasn't just winging it. And I had to say it a very particular way and I knew they were going to be running it all of a sudden I got nervous and it was like the most basic things just, I just couldn't say. And it took <laughs> several takes and I'm like, why am I doing this? This is so stupid. So that's such a small example compared to what you do, but I think I can totally understand that. Yeah. So it's not for everybody. No, no, I don't think, I mean, I don't think so. Um, I think it definitely takes, you know, people will say if there's anything else that you're good at, like do that because it's the industry is really hard yeah, it's hard to, um, it's hard to break into because it's like that old, 
it's like that old catch, like which came first, the chicken or the egg? And it'd be like, well, how do I go out and audition if I don't have an agent, you know? And then how do I get an agent? And so there's always these things, which is very different than in the, in the real world, I guess, where like, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you do A plus B and that equals C, you know, you can, you can be a doctor, you got to pass your tests, of course, and all of that, but there's like a clear plan. This is very, um, and probably this is why I like it. It's very like unknown and you're, it's a very, like, you just have to trust and like, just keep doing the work that you're going to wind up. Either someone's going to say, Hey, you know, um, meet my manager or, you know, you audition for an agent or all sorts of things, but it's, it's a hard thing. And it's like a chicken and egg thing because you're trying to, you know, so for people who are trying to get into the industry, it's like, it's tricky because you can't really just say go here and then you're going to automatically be picked up by an agent or a manager or something, you know? Were you going on auditions initially without an agent? Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So like back when I was in school, um, I would go to backstage backstage.com and, um, you could see all of the non-union stuff. So I, I guess there's some union in there too, but mostly non-union stuff. And you could, um, just apply. Like you could set up your account, put your headshot and you could put like a reel or a clip of you doing something and you can send it out and then they could call you in directly from there. So that was a great way to feel like, you know, empowered, like that while, you know, you're hoping that you get wrapped by uh, a manager that can get you in for more like legit jobs, that you're still being able to work on your craft and hone your skills, get comfortable auditioning and, um, and get some like footage for your reel. Okay. So then when did you get an agent? When did you decide, I think it's time for me to get an agent? Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember doing, um, a showcase and, um, a showcase would be something, you know, you would maybe like you would, you would get a scene, you'd get a scene partner and usually a school or, um, like or intermediate, like an intermediate type of a company that would bring um, agents to watch potential actors. Um, you could sign up for one of those and do it. So I did a showcase, and um, I remember somebody uh, they liked me, <laughs> so you know, so they brought me in, and then I ended up, um, you know, signing with them, and um, it's just kind of been from there. But you know, it it takes a while to figure out. I feel like I'm still figuring out like where my home is and stuff, you know, with, with regards to have it, do I need an agent or do I need a manager? You know, I've had both at different times and, you know, like right now I just have a manager and that feels good to me right now. So. Yeah. I think you have to go with what's working and what feels good for you. Yeah. Um, so I want to kind of tie in our conversation to your first feature, Awaken Her, because I want to hear more about that because you're, you are going off into another direction there. You're putting on a lot more hats. Um, but I want to talk about the inspiration for that uh, because you and I have talked before privately about it, um, generally about plastic surgery and your experience with that and and in general, I don't think we can avoid just talking about beauty standards and, and how that applies to being a working actress, because we know that even for if you're not a working actress, if you're not someone on camera, we all still as women, we feel those pressures to look a certain way, to be beautiful, whatever that means, um, you know, to be thin or 
to have certain features. Now everybody's getting, everybody wants a big butt, you know, like 20 years ago, nobody wanted one. Nobody (laughs) wanted a big butt. Like JLo was considered to have a big butt. JLo now does not have a big butt. No, no. Yeah. So it changes over time, but I wanted to talk to you about your experience with that. You know? Yeah. What have you felt those pressures as an actress to look a certain way? Oh yeah. Um, so I personally have always struggled with when I was younger, cause I've definitely gotten through this, but when I was younger, I always struggled with the way I looked. Um, and you know, I, and I think about it often, like why, why did I struggle so much with that? And I think it had to do with a combination of, you know, I, it's kind of like, there's this quote, like we all think we're pretty until somebody tells us otherwise, right? We're like these happy go lucky kids and things happen and, and you're, everything's going well. And then something happens and you're just like, Oh shit. I didn't realize like anybody else saw this or, or I didn't realize this was a thing. Right. And so I think that's kind of what happened to me with regards to my nose. Like I always had like a, my dad is, you know, Italian and I, I was blessed with his more authentic, uh, ethnic Italian nose. And uh, my brother and my sister did not have that. And so I felt a little bit different right from the beginning. And I remember people in my family, like grandparents, like making comments about it and just drawing it to the, to your attention. And you start to feel like, it starts to become a thing. Right. And then you start to look in like magazines and around you and you don't see necessarily like you or your nose looking back at you. And you start to think that there's something wrong with you and that you need to fix something about yourself. And for me, it just started to create these feelings of like self-loathing, like just, just not feeling like, like, I guess I equated all of my self-worth with the way I looked on the outside And that never worked for me. So this happened at a very, like, you know, very young age. And then, you know, other, I like to say, like, there's usually these, like, pivotal moments that kind of cement it for you. And I had, like, this traumatic experience happen to me um, that that made me really just question my self-worth and feel like if I had been prettier, this wouldn't have happened to me. Or if I, you know you know, because there's a certain sense in the society that we live in, that things are just easier for people who look a certain way. Right. And that there's a certain amount of power that they have. There's a certain amount of social clout that they have, you know, whether it's in high school, whether it's in, you know, work life, there's always that. So, so that happened to me. And then I was just convinced that I needed to fix myself. So I went on to uh, work in pharmaceutical sales. And that's when I, right around the time that you know, I had graduated college and I was now uh, exploring acting and, you know, understanding, you know, more about myself through those classes I was taking. But then at the same time, I was, you know, selling Botox and Juvederm and filler and everything you could imagine. I worked for Allergan to plastic surgeons and dermatologists and, and it was a great job and I really enjoyed it. And what I saw from there though is that there's usually like these two groups of women and um, there's one group of women that come in and they're, they feel good about themselves. They're like empowered. They're, they're badass. They're just like, Hey, I just want to like, you know, um, refresh the lines between my face and I'm good. I like myself, you know, I'm, I'm good. Like very, 
very empowered, very, um, I could tell they had a lot of self-worth and it wasn't, they weren't there because they felt like a deep sense of like self-loathing about themselves. And then there's another group, which I think I fell into, which was, was that like, I did have a lot of self-loathing about myself and I did equate all of my self-worth with the way I looked. And I felt that I constantly needed to fix myself because I felt like, you know, if anybody found out who I was, you know, before I changed myself, that I would be abandoned, that I would be like, not like love, that I would be like, not important. Right. So it was like this facade that I felt like I had to just continue with and, you know, working in that atmosphere, um, you know, I had access to a lot of those things and, you know, like from lasers to, um, you know, fillers and all of those things. And it kind of contributed to me continuing to hide who I was. Right. So um, then after that, you know, I became, I some I can't even remember how I oh so through acting somebody you know gave me that book the power of now and um, so I started reading that then I started to get into meditation and then I started to really understand like that this is just our costume and that it's the spirit inside that that matters right that that's that's who we are and that was such a huge defining moment for me personally because then I could just like let go of like, when you know who you are, it's just a very um, freeing feeling. And it took me a long time to get there. Right. So then here I was, I felt like I was on the other side of things and um, you know, and I'm acting, my career is, you know, I'm doing um, working in TV and stuff, but I'm not really fulfilled because I feel like there's stories that I want to tell and especially stories that share the same pain point as me. So I get pregnant and um, it's during this time period, my son's eight, eight years old. So eight years ago that I start writing this script and the script really deals with a lot of the themes that I struggled with, right? Like you write what you know. And I felt that so many other women could relate to these issues about self-worth and um, identity and personal rebirth and, and doing it in a fun, entertaining way and set like having it set in the plastic surgery world. So that's what I set out to do. And I'm an actor by trade. So I had to like teach myself how to write, take all these classes and, you know, get involved in writers groups. And I had my ass handed to me multiple times just because, you know, it took me a while to figure out the structure of it. Cause it's like storytelling. You could have a great story, but there's certain structures that you have to, you don't have to, but that, you know, really help guide telling a story that's entertaining in a way that holds the audience's attention. So like learning all of that. Um, and then, so now here I am with this, this story and, and producing it and I'm going to, you know, direct it and I'll probably play a smaller role in it. We want, you know, an A-list talent to play the, the main role. Um, but that's pretty much my journey from like where it happened with me early on to how I got to here. So when did, was that, so I'm assuming you got a rhinoplasty. I did. Yes. I, so yeah, I, I failed to mention that. So when I was, uh, 18, I got a rhinoplasty because I was very much ashamed of the way I, I looked. But then the funny thing is, then I felt ashamed for doing the rhinoplasty because my parents and like people be, oh, well, God made you that way and this. That. So it was like, I realized that none of that stuff mattered. It wasn't until I got into the inside, like with my meditation, that I was able to feel finally good and free with, with things. Well, I can relate to the nose thing. I didn't have a rhinoplasty, not yet anyway. <laughs> Maybe one day. 
<laughs> but I, I can relate to that. You know, I have an Italian nose. It's kind of big. Although my mom always says it fits your face. <laughs> it's like, okay, you didn't say it wasn't big. You just said it fit my face. And, oh my and this is, I'm really like bearing a lot right here. When I was in grade school, there were some kids that called me Gonzo. Yeah. Which yeah. sounds funny now, but at the time, you know, that is hurtful. I mean, it's, it shatters your self-worth. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, okay, everybody else is recognizing this about me. Right. And, and I can relate to what you said about, you know, just hearing family members say certain things. And I'm sure that if they knew the impact that it was having on you on the inside, they wouldn't, that maybe they would have been more careful about what they were saying, but they didn't know. But at the end of the day, those kinds of comments, they really can make a difference and influence a child who then grows up and internalizes all of that. And it just kind of grows and festers yep. until you grow up and you're on a podcast talking about how you want to get a nose job. <laughs> so, did you tell your family before you got the rhinoplasty that you were going to do it? Yes. And that's when, uh, you know, I didn't get any support from that. It was like, you know, God made you this way. And, um, you know, and I remember pretty much having to do it all on my own. So I probably didn't go to the best place. And like, you know, I, it was just something I felt like I had to do in order to survive, like, you know, and um, so I didn't have necessarily support from that, from my, where it's very different, like where nowadays, don't you feel like, you know, things are different where, you know, I feel like kids can come to their parents more. Like, I don't blame my parents for, you know, not maybe recognizing that I was struggling with something because, you know, back then nobody really, I don't feel like body dysmorphia was a thing maybe with eating disorders and stuff, but not necessarily with, you know, um, things like your nose, you know, I don't think they understood that. But nowadays, I think that, you know, there's more open communication between children and their parents. And I think it's more, everything's more accepted. So there's less shame, I think, but there still is a lot. Um, because in some ways, it's gotten better. But some in some ways, it's gotten 10 times worse with all like the filters and social media and like, you know, the Kardashians and everybody trying to be something they're not right. Um, yeah. So Eh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think back then, um, you know, whenever that is maybe really before social media and before everything was so present and accessible on the internet, I don't, I didn't know people in my circles who were getting plastic surgery, you yeah. know, uh, maybe the wealthy people were doing that in, in their circles and I, they didn't have as much either. I mean, if you look at older actresses, um, like like um, Joan Crawford and and people in her genre, you don't really see, you can see them aging like Elizabeth Taylor. You can see them aging on screen because they didn't have Botox and they didn't have Juvederm and those right. things. Really, all you could do is wait until it was time to get a facelift. Right. And even then, the technology now is so much better. And the, right. the methods of, you know, different, um, different ways to do a facelift. You know, there's all kinds of different facelifts um, that I've, that I've heard that maybe I should have a, a plastic surgeon come on and school us a little better there, but that was it. So I, I think it has evolved 
and it's more common now to have you know, to talk to you or to talk to a girlfriend of mine who is getting Botox and is getting Juvederm and things like that. It doesn't seem as foreign. Right. But I do still think that there is a stigma associated with and a lot of women aren't so willing to talk about it. Right. And uh, the example that I love to give is the Kardashians, because as open as they are about everything in their lives, I mean, they've birthed on television and you know, talked about very personal, embarrassing things, but they don't talk about their plastic surgery, you know, disclaimer. I I don't know for a fact they've had it, but you know, it's mighty suspicious. Why won't they talk about that? Yeah, that is so interesting. Um, you know, it's funny as I feel like as a disclaimer, I need to say that I'm not against plastic surgery by any means. I'm more about like understanding the why behind why you're doing something. Um, but when I think about the Kardashians to answer your question, I don't know. I know for me, everything like, again, I, I felt like if somebody found out like that, I had changed my nose or done that, like to, for me, it felt like, the worst thing ever, right? For a period of time. Now I I talk about it because I'm on the other side of it, but there is a certain amount of like, if you, if somebody finds out who I really am, that maybe I'm not perfect, that I I wasn't born this way, that then I will be abandoned or thought of less of like all those things. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but it's a real, it's a real feeling like of, you know, that, that shame there and that intense that you would rather do anything in your power than share. Like you would rather hide that than tell anybody. You'd rather cut off your left arm than tell anybody. Right. So it's this whole facade, but it's very freeing. And and I don't understand. And so that I do understand why people don't talk about it as much because I still think that there's a lot of shame around it. Yeah, there really is. And actually, I have a really funny story about that, too. This was kind of bold. Like, I don't know. I, sometimes things just slip out of my mouth and I think about them later. <laughs> but I was sitting in a plastic surgeon's office and there was this girl sitting next to me, young. And I just looked at her and she seemed friendly. And so I leaned in and I go, so what are you in for? <laughs> <laughs> she would not answer me. Oh, right. I'm and I'm like, but we're both sitting here. We're both here to get something right. done. Right. You know? But right. she, and I just, you know, I didn't bother her because I was like, oh, I guess she doesn't oh want to talk God. about yeah. it. Even though we're both sitting here, you know, in the plastic surgeon's office. So I don't know. Was that horrible to say that? What would no, you No, you were, you were being candid and cute and authentic. But I think like <laughs> the other thing that we explore in, in my film is that, you know, beauty equals power and power protects you from getting hurt. That's literally a line that my one of my characters says And so there is a power thing that's happening too, that people don't want to give away that information because that's what makes them feel a little bit more powerful, whether it's that good about themselves, maybe they feel like they're having, giving themselves an edge with whatever it is in the workforce and their job and their dating and their, whatever it is. Some people don't necessarily want to give up that edge, but I hope that things change and that women can start being more authentic because the message that it sends to other younger generations and women is just that we continue that we, we are, are feeding into this perpetuating cycle of shame of like, 
you know, there's something wrong with us, you know, versus if we, I think if we start to understand like who we really are and what's really happening, we can make decisions from much better places rather than, you know, like the self-loathingness or the feelings of being inadequate. So what, what led you to believe that you were pursuing these treatments because of self-loathing? Like what, was there a moment when you realized this? Oh, sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a moment. It's like this, this void inside of you. That's like, you never feel like good. And it's just this, like, you keep trying to feel good, but you are filling yourself up with all of these things outside of yourself. And, and until you look at what's going on inside, it doesn't matter like what you do or how much you take in or how much you try to fix yourself or do these things. It just, it doesn't work. And that's why I always say like, like plastic surgery isn't a bad thing. And a lot of women that do it from a place like they know who they are and stuff, it can be maybe a very empowering thing, but in my case, that's not what I did. And so I just had, you know, I just lived with that feeling for a while. And is that something that you feel like your past, is it completely absent or do you feel like it's something that still kind of presents itself occasionally? Yeah. You know, that's a great question because I do feel like I'm on the other side of it, right? Because once you can kind of name things and you know what's going on and you're aware, um, you kind of know your tendencies. So, um, like I said, I think it's been this cathartic journey. I think acting has helped me to really feel safe and like understand that whatever I am sharing of myself is okay. And that, uh, just to really be able to accept myself that way. And also through the meditation, I think these things combine to really, uh, and then having my son also really, I felt like it affected me. I really kind of understood more, um, well, you feel like the greatest love ever when you have a child. And so I guess the question to answer your question is, I think that there's always going to be like a remnants of that, like some old patterns that I am aware of that I stay away from. Um, but I feel I'm on the other side of it from a standpoint of, you know, I don't have that self-loathing anymore. I don't have that empty feeling anymore. And I, and I know who I am spiritually. Um, so spirit, spirituality has helped me a lot with that. Um, so yeah, I think that's probably the best way I can answer that. That's a great answer. I love it. I'm happy for you. Thank you. But how do you, um, I feel like sometimes when you're struggling with something like that and then you, you know, going into acting is like going into the lion's den. I mean, I can't think of another industry that where there's more pressure to be beautiful and perfect. So how do you, how do you handle that? And and maybe if there are any examples that you would be comfortable sharing, have you felt those pressures either? Does it come from other actresses? Does it come from industry people? Yeah, I have definitely, I, I mean, yes, I have felt so many pressures. I can remember specifically taking this one class. I'm not going to name any names, but it was with, um, a casting director and the casting director was basically like, you need to be perfect. You need to get like, you know, hair extensions. You need to get eye, your eyelashes done. Your skin needs to be flawless. You know, like everything needed to be perfect. You know, like I just remember feeling, holy shit. Like, and then 
so there, there is that like that. So yes, there is many of those times, whether I was, you know, meeting with an agent who it's always, they're like saying, change your hair, do this. It's always about the outside. Like there's, that's happening a lot, but I will tell you this, that every bigger role that I have booked has been from a place of like, I can remember, um, blue bloods, right. It was this it was this, I remember auditioning for it. And it was, I just found out that the man that I was having an affair with is, you know, like leaving me or something like that. And so just being so committed to the true authenticity of this character and forgetting, I mean, I was crying, I was a mess, right? Not caring about what I looked like, but just rather connecting and like putting what my character was trying to do in front of whatever insecurities I might've had as me, Carrie, as a human, that has always helped me and served me because those are the moments that I booked is when I just get out of my way with, and I just show up as me and in all like whatever's happening. Um, those are the moments that people connect with me. So I, I always hear that, like, that's sort of what I, me as a, I guess you could call me a layman, not being an actress or being in the industry. Um, you guys need to have some ugly people in the movies because I see them, you know, they're, they're either extras or they're in a supporting role. I mean, the, there are fat, ugly people. <laughs> Maybe that's not PC to say that, but you know, they're normal. They're just normal people. Right. right? Yeah. I mean, so are they like in a, just a different category? I mean, if somebody like that is going to say, go get an agent and say, you know, I'm just like your normal everyday person. I, yeah. I want to get acting gigs to play roles yeah. that you need for just normal everyday people. Yeah. That, that's out there. And, and yes, like I can think of like orange is the new black. Like, I mean, that was probably like the first show that I started to see like, Oh my God. Yes. These real people, authentic, diverse, that, you could really just feel like, you know, the energy coming from them. That was so exciting. And I love that. And my film, um, we're going to be a low budget and we're also doing the diversity clause so that yes, we have like, we are required in order to get a better, um, like tax something or another to have a certain amount of diversity in our film, which I love. And I think that's, that is the way it needs to go. I mean, when you think about even just the fact that you and I grew up watching films that, I think it's like only 5% of the films we watched were directed by a woman. So that means every film that you and I have watched has been told through the gaze of a male. So how they see the world and how they see women in the world. So then when we're watching it, our subconscious mind is saying, oh, this is how I'm supposed to be in the world. This is how I'm supposed to look. I'm an arm charm. I'm, you know, the scantily clad dressed girl. I'm, you know, all of these things. And that's why I think right now, I am so excited to share this story because it's a woman's story, right? It's about the stuff that we, how we see ourselves and it's about moving through that. But it's also, I'm so excited about these other stories that people are sharing now. Like you're seeing so many more, so much more of diverse diversity is what you're saying. And that we got a lot of ways to go, but you're starting to see, you know, a crack in that. Yeah. And I do love that we're seeing, I'm going to put this in finger quotes, older actresses in their forties, fifties, sixties that um, are getting great roles and telling the movies are telling great stories because probably 10 or 20 years ago, not that long ago, you just wouldn't have seen them. You know, they would have put a 30 year old in that role. 
Yeah, totally. And like, once you hit that um, age, whatever it was, you were written off completely. But now like people like Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Garner, uh, Kate Winslet, I don't know if you saw Easton on um, HBO Max. I mean, fantastic. You're starting to see yourself and that's what we need to see. Like that is reality. We don't all, you know, we live in like a youth obsessed beauty world, you know, society. And I get that, but there are so much, so many interesting stories out there to be told if you just tweak things a little bit, you know, and we start to open it up. Yeah. And I have to ask you this. Oh, God. <laughs> Did you ever have any sort of experiencing experience with the casting couch? Like anybody saying, well, you know, if you just do this, you know, I'll get you a good role. Anything like that? Yes. Um, and was it Harvey Weinstein? <laughs> no, um, no, I'm not going to like, I obviously can't name yes. names, but yes, I was definitely put in situations where it was very clear that if I engaged in a certain way that I would have a lot of opportunities um, laid out before me. And it is just such, it, this is another thing that we explore in the film is these patriarchal foes and this like power thing, right? When an abuse of power, when somebody has power and they misuse it because they want to get something that they want. And then the person that they're engaging with also wants something. It becomes, it becomes very hard because when I think about Harvey Weinstein, these, these actresses who went into his room, they really wanted something that was their, their was dream, you know, that was everything. And I can relate to that so much. And so I don't judge anybody for having done anything because when you're in a position where that power is being held over you and you're a woman, sometimes it's hard to see that there's any other path through it to, to being successful or there's any other possibilities. Right. So yeah, I have been in situations where, that has happened to me. And, you know, in all like uh, transparency or, or truthfulness for me, you know, you try to walk a line where you're not going over the line, but you're still like, maybe, I don't know, putting it out there because you feel like, Oh, that could potentially work or happen, but it never works. It never works because they always want everything and you end up not doing that. Or I end up not doing it. And it just, it, it's a waste of time. So, you know, um, the lessons that I have learned is that you just have to be, you have to trust and be true to yourself and trust that your talent and everything will get you to where you need to go. And, and it's, um, and it's hard, you know, cause you have your values. In those situations, did you, was it really explicit or was it more subtle? Huh. Um, I think this in the situation I'm speaking of it's so hard, but it's such a fine line because you're saying subtle or specific. Well, you know, there's a certain way that, you know, somebody can touch you when you're talking to some, somebody that you just know, okay, that was more than that, but that's subtle, but that's specific. Right. So it's very hard to, to, to answer that question, I think, because every bit of your intuition and every bit of your senses tells you that that's specific and you know it, but yet if you talked about it, you could kind of talk yourself around it and be like, well, he was probably, you know, this is probably just, he's friendly or just, you know, so there's, it's tricky. And of course they don't do it specifically, like, unless they're, you know, maybe like Harvey Weinstein and literally they have that much power where they can say, if you want to be in the Marvel movie or whatever, you're going to do a, B and C, 
but that has never happened to me where like do a b and c of this but the subtleties and the the uh that sort of stuff yes well, I um, I don't know how I'm going to relate this to Lance Armstrong, but when he got in trouble for doping, his so his argument was, well, everybody else was doing it too, so you really had to dope just to kind of be just to move yourself to be on the same level as the people that you're competing with. So, and the reason I'm asking this is, is it kind of like that sometimes in acting? Is do you start to feel like, well, I'm not doing this. So that means the actresses that are willing to do that, those are going to be the people that get ahead. So how can you actually just be recognized for your real talent if you know that there are roles that are just going to people because, you know, they played the game better? Right, right. You know, I think that for me, it's just about understanding that there are limitless possibilities and that that might feel like it's the only way. And that might be somebody else's path. And I don't begrudge them for that. Um, but for me, it's been about, you know, creating. Like, that's why I'm creating this film. And because um, I feel really passionate about telling this story. And I don't want to give my power over to somebody else to tell me what stories I can tell and what stories I can't tell or whether I'm going to be successful or not. Like, I'm a smart girl. I'm, you know, I'm talented. I know that I can create something. And I, and I really do believe that there are limitless possibilities. And that once you open yourself up to that, that I think you start to see, you start to see clearer that yes, while that may have felt like that was the only way at that time, that there's always another way. And I think you just, at the end of the day, you just have to be able to say, can I look at myself in the mirror if I do these things and will it even feel good once I get them? you know? Um, so, and, and for everybody, that's going to be a different answer. And yeah, you know, I, so I think it's just a real personal thing, but for me, um, thank God it hasn't happened to me so much. Um, but it has happened. And so I know, you know, it seems as you move up and you move up, it happens more. Um, but Seems like it's just the uh, woman experience, it, it, right? I mean, no matter what industry, definitely certain industries, uh, it's more prevalent, right? More pronounced, maybe more overt, right? Um, but I think as women, that's just our experience in the world. I, I, I there, I think somebody did a TED talk, and she stood on the stage and she asked everybody in the audience, you know, raise your hand if you've ever. Uh, you know, been careful about where you parked at night, or if you don't go running at night, uh, because it's not safe, or, you know, any variety of examples. And only the women in the room raise their hands, not the men. And it was really striking to see that we just, as women, we're accustomed to certain expectations about how people treat us. And we have to tailor our lives and our behaviors around that. And that yeah. men really don't. Absolutely. I mean, and, and like you said, this is like in every aspect of a woman's life, you know, like I'm an actor, but like, what about the corporate woman, you know, who, because the reality is, is we live in a patriarchal society, right? Where men hold the power. And so because of that, we're going to be, find ourselves in these situations. And until that starts to change, where we see an equal amount of women up at the top as well, this is what we're experiencing, you know? 
Yeah, I agree. Totally. Well, thank you for sharing all those personal stories. I really appreciate it. And I do want to end with you telling us more about the movie. Where is it in production? And can you, without giving anything away, what is the plot of the movie? Sure, of course, of course. Um, So we're in pre-production right now. We're raising um, equity for the film. So if you want to learn more about that, you can go to wefunder.com and search the name of the film. It's Awaken Her is the name of the film. And you'll see um, a video of me talking about why I'm passionate about it. And you'll see all of our pitch deck materials too that, that tell you the details about the film, who's involved and all sorts of those fun things. Um, but the story is about, it follows a woman who's psychologically damaged at a young age and she starts, she hides her pain behind plastic surgery. And as this inner battle is kind of raging with her, she loses her grip on reality and she heads down a dangerous path of revenge to right the wrongs from her past. Well, that sounds deep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right up my alley. I love movies like that. Yep. So who would you absolutely love to see play the main part? Absolutely. Jennifer Garner is like my first choice for sure. Um, I think she would be excellent in this. And, you know, what I see is that she is such a talented actress and she does a lot of like family oriented type of films. And so I think this would be a really fun role for her to like sink her teeth into. It's definitely more dark and twisty. Um, but then also somebody like Amy Adams, I think is a great choice too. So I think those two would be like my top, my top two for this. I love Amy Adams. I just saw her in Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. Good. Yeah. And I love Jennifer Garner too. So all good choices. I can't wait to see it. So I know a movie really takes forever. (laughs) Doesn't it? (laughs) Well, it's like once you raise the equity, then it kind of, it scoots because then you have about anywhere from like four to eight weeks in pre-production. And then we're doing about a 25 day shoot and then about, you know, 15 weeks post-production. And then nowadays there's different ways. Like you, we're hoping to get distribution before we even go out. Um, But then there's other ways of going the film festival route and getting distribution that way. Um, But it's, it's a really exciting time because there's so many streamers and there's everybody's so hungry for content. And here's what I love about WeFunder is this is very different than, you know, if you go to a Kickstarter or something like that, it's just people throwing money that they never see back, right, into a project. WeFunder is equity crowdfunding. So it allows people to invest and have a stake in the success of the project. Like they can get a return on investment from um, investing in the project and they can invest for as little as $250. And why I like this is because when I think about who has control over what content gets released to like Netflix and Hulu and all these things, a lot of times it's people we don't even know who are up at the top who are picking out what, what is what we're going to watch, right? But this gives everybody, it evens the playing field and it gives people a say over the content that they feel excited about. So if you're a woman, you know, we represent 50% of the population and you want to see films about, you know, these types of topics and stuff where you can see your light, see some of your struggles, all of these things, then it allows you to get behind like a social impact film that you can feel like, yeah, I was part of bringing that to the world. I was part of birthing that. And I think that's so cool because how many people get exposed to be a part of a film like that? 
I think that's so cool. And I will have links to everything in the show notes for anybody that is interested in learning more. And I will be watching you on Instagram and I have, we'll have a link to your Instagram page too, because I love when you share your acting uh, moments. So the clips, I love them. So keep putting those out there. Okay. I will. I will. I had so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I loved it. Thank you for saying yes. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call, the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.